focused on your word. Keep us focused on the text that we're studying today, God, and that you would uh, help us to uh, help us just to, to dig into this text and how it applies to our lives. And uh, we thank you for that. We're going to we're going to give you praise and glory for that. And we just ask that you would watch over us today as we go into service in Jesus name. Amen. All right. So Acts chapter eight, we just got done with um, Simon, right? Right. Was that, was that Simon? OK, so Philip. Philip went to preach in Samaria. Stephen was martyred. He was killed. He uh, died for the the uh, the kingdom and was peaceful in his death. Understood what was going on, and uh, the sermon that he preached was uh, probably one of the best in Acts. It really tied together Old Testament, and New Testament. It was uh, phenomenal. And uh, when he preached that sermon, remember, just a little background. Before before he preached that sermon, they were content. The Jewish leadership was content just to let the apostles go and do what they were going to do. He said, they, remember Gamaliel said, you know, if it's of God, it's going to take off and you don't want to fight against it. But if it's not, it'll fizzle out. Well, after Stephen preached his sermon, which we, we looked at in two weeks, it was, or, you know, in two separate weeks, we took it apart. It was so powerful and they, they, they understood exactly what the message of Christ was to the fact that they decided that uh, after he died, all-out persecution broke out. You know, they were violently persecuting the church, not just arresting them and, you know, examining them and asking them questions. Uh, they were kicking in doors, going from house to house, uh, and so much so we'll see in the next chapter that Paul was, that was his mission in life. Saul, I guess, was his name before they changed it to Paul, but it was his mission in life was to go and just raid houses and bring people into uh, uh, Christ's followers into, into prison. Uh, what we're going to see right Right here, though, in the last part of Acts chapter eight, is the overall scheme of it is we're talking about we're talking about being a witness for Christ in every circumstance. We're going to see that they were witnesses for Christ in the everyday details of their life as they were going about here and going about there. They were witnesses for Christ, and they were witnesses for Christ uh, when God at certain times. Uh, made what I what I would call divine appointments. You know, you ever you ever had those deal where it's just a normal every average average day and everything's going on, and you run into somebody and you just feel like it's 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 uh, it's not happenstance that this happened that I ran into them and you know uh, God's given me an opportunity to be a witness here. He's given me an opportunity to talk about uh, Christ or whatever. What we're gonna see is that that uh, Philip. We're gonna go back to Philip talking about him he is going to be a witness in the everyday details of life but he's also going to take advantage when God gives him this divine opportunity and we're going to see another person who is an outcast the Ethiopian eunuch uh, he's an outcast in a couple of different ways uh, brought into the kingdom of God okay is there any comments or questions before we start reading hey Dana good morning. how are you Pretty good. <laughs> All the kids have been coming home telling on me. What? They said that I. They said I've been mean all week. Yelling at you. Did I yell at you? Oh, I'm used to it. Oh. <laughs> was I? Now you better explain that. They're gonna all think I've been yelling. We already know. Angrily or whatever. <laughs> um, I think I've just probably been quiet. 
Really? You think so? <laughs> Now, you won't realize people, but, but were y'all on the bus with me? No, but we, oh, okay. we understood. I have taken up for you all morning. Thank bad. you. Huh? The bus was bad. The bus was bad. Yeah. Blake, help me out. Help me out. Was I yell, Would I just go crazy yelling like a madman? Okay. Thank you. Thank you. Why not speak up for him this morning? Thank you. All right. You I were was, just un- you were stressed. You were stressed. It was awful. The tragic and stuff was awful. And there were nine. And 25, 25 kids on the bus were awful. <laughs> yelling and screaming. Where are you yelling? Huh? Were they really yelling? Have you ever been on the bus with 25 teenagers? Lately. <laughs> <laughs> Huh? Yes. And to be fair, I would I did not yell at any of y'all's kids. I was yelling at my own kids. Well, that's what, that's what I was I was yelling at my own yeah. Yell at your and own I I reserve the right to yell at my own kids. Like, <laughs> your yeah, I know. Well, my wife. Hold on now. Let's let's go. I'm gonna pause. Pause. She couldn't have all the kids hold their hands single file line. He could have dropped them off right at the door with us, but he wouldn't. Yeah, downtown, in traffic, 9,000 kids. I'm going to drop them off. <laughs> Ask Jennifer no. when we dropped her uh, Amanda off. Yeah. That, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> everybody. Every, every bus. Every bus. Every van was dropped Yeah. It was one of them deals where I'm either going to get control of the situation right now, or I'm going to pack up and go home. I mean, it was, it was, it was, it was, it was either either crack the whip, or you might as well just pack it all in. It's going, it's going to turn ugly quick. All right, chapter eight. Witness uh, in in every opportunity, including stressful stressful ones, uh, being a witness. Yes. I I probably could have handled it better, but I handled it the way I handled it. Verse 25 says, uh, and they are, remember what happened. Okay. Philip's preaching to the Samaritans. Samaritans converted. Simon, false conversion right in the midst of all of the stuff going on. Um, uh, the apostles came, laid hands on the people. The Holy Spirit descended. Holy Spirit, remember we talked about it. The Holy Spirit uh, waited to come on in, Preston. It's fine. Uh, the Holy Spirit waited to uh, sovereignly waited to come upon them so that the apostles would have time to get there and to show solidarity with them. So there would not be two churches, Samaritan and Jewish, like there were. Uh, the Samaritans hated the Jewish people. Jewish people hated the Samaritans. Uh, and so now the apostles came. The Samaritans knew that they. They were indeed under the authority of the apostles. The apostles knew indeed that the Samaritans were accepted by God and they weren't two separate peoples. And so that happened. And so the apostles now are going home. John and Peter that had come uh, to do that. They're going home. In verse 25 it says... Um, where are we at? 25. And they, talking about the apostles, the apostles, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, returned to Jerusalem. They're on their way home. And look what they did. It says, and they preached the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. Now, these are the apostles here. These are, this is Peter and John. They didn't just, uh, you know, they came to Samaria to 
validate what Philip was doing, to validate that the Samaritans were accepted by God and that uh, they were included in the kingdom of God. It was no longer a division between Jewish and Samaritan. We're going to see uh, a glimpse of the Gentiles coming in here in the, in the end of this chapter as well. Uh, but they, they, they did that and being an apostle, these big apostles, you know, they are the ones that walk with Jesus. They're the ones with the authority and uh, they're in the fellowship hall, AJ. Uh, they ones that uh, walked with, uh, with, with Jesus. And so you would think, uh, in my mind, I'm thinking they might have said, okay, well, we, we, did, our, we did what God said and so we're going to go back to Jerusalem and we're going to continue uh, preaching in Jerusalem and leading the church at Jerusalem and all, and all that kind of stuff. But on their way home, and that's exactly what they did, they went back to Jerusalem, but on the way home, they were stopping in the villages of Samaria and they were preaching the gospel to all. They were doing the same work that Philip was doing. And they were doing it, you know, as they went. Their destination was Jerusalem. That's where they wanted to go. That's where they were headed. But they were taking time to witness and be a witness all through Samaria. They understood that Jesus said in Acts chapter 1, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and then in Judea, Samaria, and then in all the, the other parts of the world. And so they recognized that now the gospel had opened up to Judea, Samaria, and we're entering into the second part of, of Acts where we're talking about we're talking about Judea and Samaria. So this at the beginning is the same thing we're going to see at the end, is that they're being a witness not just uh, when the big sign drops down and you have the big opportunity to be a witness, but in every part of their life, in every in everyday life, you know, um, there was a professor at a seminary once. Uh, this is a story told to me. I wasn't involved, but a uh, professor at a seminary once, he gave his students that were training to be preachers, uh, he gave his students uh, a task to do to get a grade in his class, and all they had to do was they had to uh, make it to a certain building uh, that was on campus. They had to make it to a certain building and, and sign in, answer three questions about pastoral ministry, and then he would give them a grade for this. You know, it wasn't an exam. It was just like an assignment. And so he said the, the, the person that was in, you know, he made up some story about this visiting missionary or whatever was going to be over in this building across campus, and you've got to be here before this time. He's leaving at this time. And so he released them. Well, they didn't know what he had done was he had set up actors along the way that were um, uh, pretending to be hurting, uh, homeless, uh, crying on a bench somewhere, you know, just set all these people up along the way. And he was judging. He was using this as an experiment to see how many people would rush to get this grade rather than stop and help the people who needed help. And uh, almost all of them zip right onto the building. Only a few would stop and, and, and say, is there anything I can do for you? Do you need some help? You know, just whatever. And so it, it wasn't just like he, they were They were told to, there was a lot more involved. They were told to make it obvious. You know, they were told to, to try to stop them and say, can I ask you a question? I've got, you know, so many problems, whatever. And the, the most of the people that were trained to be preachers was like, I ain't got time. I got you know, to get to this building, whatever. And so what we see here is that 
this here at the beginning, the apostles, and we're going to see it at the end of this chapter, Philip as well, as they were going, they, they were part of Christ's mission, Christ's witness, but they were going about it even as they were going from place to place. They were going as they, for you and me, it'd be as you, you go out to work, you know, it's not just when somebody walks up and it's like a divine appointment drops in your lap and they say, hey, I want to know about Jesus. It's about, it's about being that witness uh, from day in, day out, from moment to moment as, as everything's happening and everything goes on. And so that's what he says in verse 25. In verse 26 through about mm, 35, we're going to talk about the Ethiopian eunuch. Uh, we, we go back to Philip. Uh, and we're catching up with what Philip is doing uh, as uh, after the apostles left, after the episode with Simon the sorcerer. It says in verse 26, And the angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise and go toward the south and unto the way that goeth down from Jerusalem unto Gaza, which is a desert. I want you to take this desert road from, from Jerusalem to Gaza. Uh, it's a strange thing for... It, it wasn't the main road that was traveled, the main trade route that was traveled from Jerusalem down through, you know, down toward Egypt. Uh, but it was like a deserted road. It was in the middle of nowhere. You know, it was a road that was not often taken and uh, it's interesting to me you know I could see if, if the spirit of the Lord came to me and said Jason I want you to go uh, you know if I'm going to Jackson let's say I'm going uh, I got an idea I'm going to Jackson the spirit of the Lord came to me and says you know I want you to go down some country bumpkin road rather than take the interstate I'm like well I can be in Jackson 20 minutes on the interstate you know I'd be arguing well Philip was told I want you to go to this certain place I want you to go this certain way and of course we know we know that he had a meeting scheduled didn't he uh, God had a meeting with this Ethiopian eunuch scheduled with with Philip Philip didn't know and it's it was instructive for me I learned something even for myself that that Philip was getting some really weird directions from God. I want you to go here, way out in the middle of nowhere, in the middle of this desert road, and I want you to head down that road. And that was it. And Philip, you know, there's no questions, there's no comments, there's no nothing. There's just, he got up and he went. He got up and he went. And so... In your outline, I like what you put in your outline, you know, he was given a command with no info. Yeah, no, no information at all. You know, this is not where you're going, just go here. Yeah. And he didn't question God. He didn't say, well, why? Yeah. We would. I would. I would. And can you imagine, God just works that way all the time, it seems like to me. He doesn't give me, he, he says, he leads you and says, I want you to whatever. <laughs> and he won't give you, he, he wants you just to obey. He wants you to obey in faith and, and just to go. And I mean, you see it all. You go all the way back to Abraham. You know, leave your country and go to a place. Where am I going? I'll tell you when you get there. You know, and and he he just didn't know. I mean, if if he told Philip, if he told me, okay, Jason, I want you to go way out here, and when you get there, you're going to meet someone that's going to need to hear the gospel. I'd be like, okay, yeah. got the information. I'm gonna go. But more often than not, he just says, you go and. He wants to see if you trust him. Yeah, and you trust me, and when it, when when you get there, there's a reason, and th not just in witnessing, but in all aspects of our life. You know, do you really believe that God is in control? Do you really believe that God's sovereign? Do you really believe that God has a purpose? And that's tested on a daily basis, especially when things happen that are not the best 
you know, circumstances that could happen. Because, to be honest with you, I mean, I just had this discussion last week about the rain and tornadoes and stuff and people losing their houses, you know. Uh, where was God when the tornado hit so-and-so's house, you know? And from a biblical worldview, the answer is God was right there. Did God, uh, you know... To be honest with you, I don't want to live in a world where a tornado can hit my house and God go, whoops, I didn't see that coming. <laughs> I mean, that's a scary world to live in, don't you think? That a tornado can just blow my house down and God's like, dang, I missed that, sorry. You know, no, no, he's in control. And I can't tell you why things happen, so don't even ask, well, why did it... I'm not God. I don't know. I don't know. You know, but I know that Scripture says that things happen for the good of those who love Him. And so, you know, maybe 10 years from now we could see the good in it. Maybe never. Maybe not till we get to glory we could see the good in it. But it's a, the analogy that I always use is thing like with, with your babies that get shots. You know, you, all y'all that have kids, y'all have taken your kids to get shots. And nobody thinks twice about it, but put yourself in the baby's shoes. I mean, the baby, all he knows is that this is mommy, and this is where I get my food. And all of a sudden, mommy's taking me to some strangers with masks on, and they sticking me with needles and stuff, you know. And so the baby would be thinking, if, you know, babies thought like that, they would be thinking, how, how could mommy do this to me? I trusted her. I thought she was going to be watching out for me, and she gave me to these people, and they're sticking me with, uh. Mommy knows that. This is for your good. This is going to help you. This is going to keep you from getting sick, whatever. And it's the same. It's not a perfect analogy, but it's the same. It's the same picture because God has the, the whole story. He's got the whole picture. He knows the end from the beginning. We don't know nothing. We don't even. We don't even know what's going to happen tomorrow in our own lives. All we can see is what's going on here. And so, Philip's not giving any information. You go, and and he goes. He goes. He start. He takes off walking. And remember, this is not like jump into Buick. You know what I mean? You'll get there in a couple hours. He just takes off walking. It could be a long time. And so he goes on this desert road and he runs into he runs into this Ethiopian. It says, And he arose and went, behold, a man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Candace, by the way, is not a name. It's the title of the queen of Cush, the Nubia, the Ethiopian king. It's like Pharaoh is the king of king of Egypt. You know what I mean? Like so, this this guy's named Pharaoh. That guy's named Pharaoh. Whoever Candace was the the name for these queens that were in Ethiopia. And so Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of all her treasure, he was the treasurer for Candace, and had come to Jerusalem for to worship. Okay, what we're seeing here is we're seeing a man who is obviously a convert to Judaism. He's coming to Jerusalem to worship while the Jews are coming to worship. So he's not, not a Jewish man. He's a Gentile convert to, Ju to, Ju to Judaism. And he was coming to the city to worship. We're catching him on the way back, right? He's already been in the city, already been in the temple. He's you know done what all the rest of the Jews have done. He no doubt had heard the apostles preaching in the city. Uh, he was on his way back. He was uh, treasurer of... He, I mean, this was a high office in the government of Candace here. He wasn't just some poor old Ethiopian eunuch. A lot of times eunuchs were, uh, they, they were, you, you know what, y'all know what a eunuch is, right? You know, like, please say yes. No. Huh? Yeah, like, you know, eunuch. Hey. And so, yeah. And so, <laughs> people that were, 
What's the word? Unicized. No, I don't think that's the word. <laughs> castrated, yeah. People that were castrated would often reach high office in this day because they were deemed more trustworthy. Like, kings would put them in charge of the harem. You know what I mean? It's like, what are they going to do? Right. So anyway, so, I mean, that, it's true. It's, it's what happened. So this guy was high office. He was he was treasurer over Candace's, you know, uh, stuff. And he had gone to Jerusalem to worship. He was on his way back to Ethiopia now. He was on his way, you know, he's heading down toward Egypt and he was going to go back home. And he bought, we'll get to it in the text in a minute. More than likely, while he was in Jerusalem, he bought a scroll of Isaiah. He's reading the Isaiah scroll. And so um, he, Philip is, Philip just so happened along this Ethiopian, when in reality we know that it was a divine appointment that God had made for him. Well, the thing about this Ethiopian was, this was a man that would never be accepted in, uh, by God according to Judaism. Okay, first of all, he was an Ethiopian. He wasn't a Jewish person. He was a Gentile. So if he went into into the city to worship, he would not be allowed past the court of the Gentiles. In the temple, there were different courts. It was like a big complex, right? And then there was there was a barrier wall. And then there was a, that was like court of the. And I, I probably have the courts mixed up. So I'm just doing this off the top of my head. The, there was probably the court of the women and court of the Gentiles and then the inner court and then there was the holy of holies right in the center and depending on your level of cleanness you you know could decide how far you could go in you know and of course only the high priest could be right into the holy of holies with the ark of the covenant uh but Gentiles weren't allowed past the court of the Gentiles because they were deemed unclean. And so if he were to come into worship, he would not have been able to go into the temple like all the rest of the people. He would only have been able to go so far. Uh, so being an Ethiopian, he was unclean. There was no way. He was almost, he was worse than the Samaritans. Remember we talked about the Samaritans being unclean because they were kind of half-breeds. Jews hated them and they weren't you know, allowed in the temple, weren't allowed to worship. Well, this Ethiopian was a, a Gentile convert, so he was worse than that. He was he was unclean. Uh, he wasn't even part Jewish. He was simply a convert to Judaism, and so he was going to Jerusalem to worship because that's what Jewish Jewish converts did. Uh, but he wasn't allowed to actually come even anywhere near the presence of God, so to speak, uh, because he was a Gentile. And on top of that, he was also a eunuch. So in, in Deuteronomy, let me read that to you real quick. Deuteronomy, when I say he was a eunuch, just it means he'd been turned from a rooster to a hen. You know what I'm saying? Just make sure you understand. Huh? Huh? Yeah, with one snip. He went from a horse to a gelding. A horse to a gelding, that's a better analogy? Yeah. Or stood. I don't know nothing about all that. Okay, but in Deuteronomy chapter 23, these are divine regulations. Verse 1, and it's, it's kind of funny, I know, but verse 1, he says, he is given regulations as to who is clean, unclean. He says, he that is wounded in the stones, so where we get that from, or hath his privy member cut off shall not enter into the congregation of the Lord. That's what that's talking about. And so... Uh, he was unclean in two different ways. 
if uh, you know the in, in Judaism Le- Levitical laws, if you had a sore on your leprosy and anything, <laughs> unclean, can't come in. Sorry, you know. And so one of the things that made you unclean was to be to be castrated, to be a eunuch. And so on two on two fronts, this guy was unclean before God. He could not come into the presence of God, was unaccepted by God. And so when he came into the temple to worship, uh, they may not, and this is just me talking out loud, I can't prove it, they may not have even let him into the court of the Gentiles because he was actually a eunuch. And so uh, he would have been, on, on both counts, uh, ostracized from the people of God, uh, but he was a convert to Judaism knowing that this there was only one true God, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so he would go to Jerusalem to worship. More than likely, he would pay to have his sacrifice taken into the temple by somebody else. You know, this is all this is all me just thinking out loud. But here he is on his way home. Probably picked up the scroll of Isaiah in the city somewhere. He's got, it was a nice chariot, I'm sure. He was a high office, had a lot of money, was in charge of all this stuff. But even with all his money, even with all his office, even with all his prestige, you know, riding a chariot. You see, Philip ain't got no chariot. He's walking. And so even with all his money, all his prestige, whatever, he could not come into the presence of God. He was not clean to come into the presence of God. Uh, yeah, armband, eunuch. That's a good question. I actually got asked that question this morning. To be honest with you, I, I really don't know. I really don't know. I mean, going into each one of these courts, wouldn't they have to do an inspection on you? He was commando. I mean, they'd have to inspect you to be cleanly. Yeah. Yeah. Well. Yeah, maybe. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I can speculate, but like, I, d- I doubt all the dudes was lifting up this junk, you know, when they go into the, you know, lift up their robes. I doubt that was going on. But regardless regardless of whether they knew whether he was a eunuch or not, the law was still in place that he was un- unclean. So if he was an if he was an adherent to the law, he would have understood. He might. I mean, let's just we can say for argument's sake he snuck in or whatever. I mean, whatever. But he understood. He understood. And even if he didn't understood, the law still stands that he's unclean before God. Any blemish. And the reason it's there. Remember, the reason it's there is not so, you know, if you've got a mole in a certain place, it makes you unclean. The reason it's there is to show the purity and perfection of God that only perfection will be allowed in his presence. And that was kind of the picture it was painting. And it was pointing forward to the fact that the perfect son of God, the perfect lamb would come even when you brought sacrifices. They had to be perfect. No blemish, no nothing. You know, couldn't have, you know, they had to be inspected and all that before they could be sacrificed. And all of this, you know, you couldn't come with leprosy. You couldn't come with these spots or these whatever on you and you know these diseases these unclean whatever all of this was pointing to the fulfillment that would be the perfection of Christ when he came absolutely perfect lamb of God and it's through his perfection that we get that he that we get in and that's what the Ethiopian's going to see here is because when he's reading the scroll I'll I'll read it in a minute but he's reading the scroll Philip's told to go join the chariot and Philip asked him, you understand what you're reading? He says, I, I don't understand what I'm reading. Nobody's here to guide me. And then Philip preaches Jesus. The eunuch is baptized, converted. And from that moment on, we see no longer is he unaccepted because he's a Gentile, because he's an Ethiopian, or because he's a eunuch. 
He's now clean, not because, not because the law has been changed or, or, or because God's holiness has been changed or uh, whatever. Nothing's changed. The only thing that's changed is it's Jesus Christ and his perfection that stands in for the Ethiopian. And now he is accepted even though he is a eunuch, even though he is a Gentile, even though he is an Ethiopian. Does that make sense? So he's a rich, rich guy. He's got it all going on by the, you know, I, I can imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees and those rules of the temple would have probably given him some uh, preferential treatment because of all his money. You know, he might, you know, they were all about the money. You know, you had to go in and buy a sacrifice and, you know, all that kind of stuff. And so he probably spread some of that money around and, you know. Whatever, but the reality was he was unclean before God. And then here comes this poor guy, you know, probably dirty, nasty, been walking around on this desert road, you know, and he offers him the salvation of God through Christ. And so what we're seeing here is we started in Jerusalem. We started with the 12 apostles when Matthias was added after Judas died. We, we started with the 12 apostles. They preached. They taught, then you know, three thousand saved, then five thousand saved, and then all of a sudden Jerusalem is a hotbed of gospel activity, people coming in from the villages to hear the gospel of Christ coming into Jerusalem, and then then the martyrdom of Stephen happens, persecution breaks out, the people go scatter, and Philip goes out and starts preaching, and the Samaritans are brought into the kingdom of God. It's like, whoa, it's not just for Jewish people, it's for these half breeds as well. And so now what we're seeing is we're going to see a glimpse here and then we have we're going to see a glimpse here of the Gentiles being brought in uh, as this Ethiopians uh, who is unclean on multiple levels and he's brought in and then chapter nine is going to take us and show us Saul's conversion and then chapter 10 is where Peter comes and preaches to Cornelius and then all of a sudden the floodgates are kicked open all the Gentiles can come in and, and all that's open yes. You have to talk loud back there on the North 40. I can't. Uh. So the, the Ethiopian, the picture of the, the Ethiopian man, you know, I'm sitting here and, I, and as I read through it, it's like contrasting a complete difference of the heart issue compared to Simon. Uh, you know. Yes. Country road, yeah. Absolutely, and the the end result is completely different. Remember, we left Simon. Peter said, "You lost, man." He said, "Your heart's not right with God. You need to repent." And Simon said, "Well, pray for me." <laughs> and that was it. It was over. The story was over. Luke moves on to a different story. And so, well, that's where verse twenty-five started. And here we see we're going to see the Ethiopian who is. By all intents and purposes, he's unclean as unclean can be, but he's accepted. He's accepted because he trusts in Christ. He hears the gospel, trusts in Christ, converted. And it should be, you ought to know that both um, Irenaeus was a second century church father, church guy, and Eusebius was a church historian. Both of these men wrote, and it's not Bible, it's not gospel, we don't know it for sure, but both of these men wrote that this Ethiopian eunuch was the very first missionary to North Africa in 
in the first century. Uh, both of those men said that. Now, I can't prove it. Nobody can prove it. We don't know. It's just tradition. It's not, not history or whatever. But we do know that for the first 400 years, North Africa was a hotbed of Christian activity. That's where, you know, Alexandria was a huge church there. Uh, that's where Augustine, you know, came from and all, all kind of stuff. And so uh, what we see here, we do know because of what the Bible says that this Ethiopian was actually converted and went on his way rejoicing. Uh, and so it's very possible that this was the start of something huge as this Ethiopian went to, to witness. It's possible. Okay? Any, any other questions? It is. I got I to gotta watch my time today because we can't be in here too late. Okay, so where are we at? I'm lost. 28. Okay, he was returning. He's sitting in his chariot. He's reading Esaias, which is Isaiah, the prophet. Probably, I can't prove this either, but probably he bought that scroll while he was in Jerusalem and was, you know, taking this lonely road just to read it. He was reading it, and he did not just, well, let me get to that. Verse 29, the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. Okay, so Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah and said, Understandeth thou what thou readest? And he said, How can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come up and sit with him. Okay, now that's going to tell us he was reading in Isaiah 53, uh, verse 7 and 8, I think. I got it written down, but I ain't going to look at it right now. Uh, he said, The place of the scripture which he read was this. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a dumb lamb before his shears, so opened he not his mouth. In his humiliation his judgment was taken away, and who shall declare his generation, for his life is taken from the earth? And the eunuch answered, 32 and 33 is Isaiah 53, 7 and 8. That's where the quotation. And verse 34 says, And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee, of whom speaketh the prophet, this of himself or some other man. Now, that's a fair question. The the eunuch understood the words that he was reading. I mean, he could read. So he understood the words. He understood the meaning of the words. He understood what the words were saying. But what he did not grasp was the context of the words, right? He didn't understand who he was talking about. He didn't understand, and it's a fair question because even today there are still Jewish people that are not converts to Christianity that would say Isaiah 53, which is the famous verse. I don't know if y'all know it, but the Isaiah 53 is where he was, you know, the, the lamb led to the... It's all about the suffering servant. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus coming and dying and bearing the sins of, of the people. And there are still Jewish interpreters today who say, no, that's not about Jesus. That's about the nation of Israel. And so there's still, still the question rages today. Uh, and there are times in Isaiah, if you've ever read the book, Isaiah doesn't go chronologically like, you know, this event, this event. So sometimes it's hard to understand what exactly what he's talking about. And there are times in Isaiah when the, the servant of God, he's talking about himself, Isaiah. And the servant of God is the nation. And the servant of God is the Messiah who would come, the suffering servant. And so there's a fair question to ask. It's a, a question if you've ever opened up and read uh, some of the Old Testament prophets. I mean, come on, be honest. You, you get lost in them jokers pretty quick. You know, you can get lost because you don't understand the context. You don't understand what's going on. You don't understand what's happening in the background. And we still we still study those things today to find out the, these texts were written. The Isaiah, for instance, was written, you know, 
2,800 years ago or something like that. And so, I mean, you know, there is, there's a context to be learned there. And he said, who's speaking? And Philip joined the chariot. And Philip's next word, it's the next thing it says well, in uh, 35, it's, it's, a, it's a, a text that uh, really speaks, it spoke to me for sure. In verse 35 it says, Then Philip opened his mouth and began at that same scripture, at the same scripture, and preached unto him Jesus. Now, this little text right here teaches me so much. Um, there is something, when Jesus said, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, other ends of the earth. There's something to be said for the person who lives uh, his life, um, you know, in a godly way. No, no problem with that. But what we're talking about here, when he says, you will be my witnesses, he's talking about opening up your mouth. And letting God speak through you the gospel. There was a, a famous monk. His name was uh, St. Francis of Assisi. And he said, uh, said a quote that you probably heard before. It says, <laughs> preach the gospel every day. Use words if you need them. And what he was talking about was live your life you know, for Christ. I don't have no problem with that. Nothing wrong with that. That's what we should be doing. Uh, it, it, Peter says that we should sanctify the Lord in our heart and be ready to give a reason when somebody asks us about the hope. So you live and they ask and you tell. But to spread the gospel, 